Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Talk ETC. I have a previous guest with me, Stefan Kinzella. He is a libertarian writer and patent attorney. And last time he discussed uh, he did, he discussed anarcho-capitalism and libertarianism, and I that was one of my most listened to shows. So I thought I'd have him back to. Uh, touch a little bit again upon that and also discuss some legal issues um, involving blockchain technology. So welcome, Stefan. Thank you very much, Christian. Yes. So um, why don't you give people a little bit, a quick introduction to your 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 background, your education and some of your accomplishments? Uh, sure. I am a... Uh... 53-year-old patent attorney in Houston, Texas. I'm from Louisiana, and I've been um, with large law firms and representing high-tech firms uh, for the last 25-plus years. That's what I do for a living, but I've also been heavily involved uh, on the other side of my sort of avocational side with uh, Austrian economics and libertarian theory and the Mises Institute and groups like that for the last 25 plus years. So I sort of have my foot in two, you know, two ponds. I'm, I'm a practicing IP lawyer, but I'm also a libertarian um, sort of theorist. I write, I speak, um, and I really get into the nitty gritty of property rights and things like that. So I guess we, you could call yourself an activist. Maybe. Well, that's that's another interesting discussion. I mean, there are, different, <laughs> there are different types of activists. There's political activists, people that try to get people out to vote and join the Libertarian Party. Um, you know, there's the Ayn Rand style of what they call intellectual activist. Right. Um, I don't know if I would call myself an activist. I am engaged. I try to understand, and I am interested in speaking with people and trying to learn from them and impart ideas to them I've learned. Uh, I don't know if I would call it activism, but I guess it's a type of involvement or engagement of a certain type. Sure. Right. Okay. Now, last time, as I said, that was uh, one of the most popular shows where you you discussed anarcho-capitalism and libertarianism. So there seems to be a interest in those topics. So can you quickly uh, – now, people can obviously watch the show to get more elaboration, but can you – just quickly touch upon what those two terms mean. Well, there's there's sort of an old joke, and, and most libertarian jokes are about as good as dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's an old joke like, uh, what's the difference between a minarchist and an anarchist? And a minarchist is someone who believes in minim the minimal state, like what we call the night watchman state or radically minimal state. Like you believe in government, but it's got to be very small. And an anarchist who believes in no government. So the the joke is, what's the difference between a minarchist and an anarchist? And the answer is about six months. <laughs> and and what that means is that the type of person like in college or at a young age who gets obsessed with or interested in these issues, usually economics, free market economics, uh, personal liberty issues, philosophy, Ayn Rand maybe, you know, Ron Paul activism, freedom, these kinds of things, they, they, they tend to come from some background which is pro-state in one form or the other, right? They're, they're a lefty, they're a righty, they're a Democrat, they're a conservative, a progressive, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they, they start to see the logic of economics helps them peel back uh, some of the illusions that they held, right? Like, uh, you can't have you know, just a simple-minded thing like, oh, why doesn't the government just print more money and make everyone rich? You know, right. uh, which a, a, a nine-year-old might think, a child, right? Right. Uh, or a union worker today, or a Democrat voter today. <laughs> uh, and but what you understand a little bit about supply and demand and the role of money and economics, you understand that these things are impossible, and you start realizing that oh, the welfare system hurt the black family. Oh, um, there's no free lunch. Yes, and, and 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 all these things where people say that you know the government got us out of out of depression with the war, or the government is trying to fight inflation. You start seeing the fallacies in all these things because the government causes inflation by expanding the money supply by its central bank. Right. So the whole thing is ridiculous. So if you get a little bit of economic literacy, 
and you have a decent heart, like you want the best for yourself and your fellow people, then you basically have to become some form of libertarian because you basically want the government to stay out of interfering with things that destroy wealth and that harm people's liberties and just do the, the necessary things that we all kind of agree with should be done. And you can disagree with the way it should be done, but you know, we, not many people disagree that we should have some kind of structure or system or laws or rules right. that protects people's, people's rights, to their bodies, and their things. This is property rights. And so anarcho-capitalism is the outgrowth of this if, – if you have a radical, principled, consistent application of economics and just good and right principles to the way humans interact, you will end up concluding that the government is a criminal organization. And so you will basically conclude that because we're all against theft and murder and rape and trespass. And yet as Bastiat, who was a great 18th century or uh, in the 1800s, uh, 17th century French theorist, uh, economic journalist, you know, he, he explained that it's all plunder. Like so when the, when, when the government takes from you, they give it to someone else, they have to take it from you. Nothing is for free. Right. Now, I do have – okay, I, this is my best attempt at an intelligent question about anarcho-capitalism, and I'm, I'm not an expert at it. But last time you were opening my eyes to all these things that the private sector could do, like possibly the military, uh, the post office, uh, even courts. I remember you mentioned that, uh, a legal adjudication system. And I was talking with my uh, – a colleague of mine who's an econ professor – and so here, here, okay, here's, here's the concern I have about that or it, why it might not be uh, uh, all pot, all rosy. So let's say if we had a, or a white, a clean slate, we're on an island, we decided to implement anarcho-capitalism, and instead of having a government, we had, we, we had basically had privatized all those things you talked about. Eventually, in order, you would have to have some kind of rules and those rules would end up leading to some form of coercion, all right? So, so you would still have coercion even in an anarcho-capitalistic system to some degree. Do you see what I'm saying? Because, yes. Because even, even something like a homeowners association, we all agree to keep our yards clean in order to have a nice place with high property values, et cetera, et cetera. But you see what I mean? No matter every anytime you start setting up rules and people agree to things, if people don't follow the rules, they have to be kicked out. So now you have coercion and and a a powerful some somewhat powerful central authority. So you can't. My point is, you can't get away from that. If you have a if you have privatized everything, what you what you didn't like about the government, now you have privatized entities that you're not going to like that are going. So how would you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so that sort of highlights, and this is a big, big conversation, by the way. So, but that highlights the difference between what we call left libertarians and I'm reluctant to say right libertarians now because the alt right and the right has corrupted uh, a lot of things. But let, uh, there, there's a there's a theorist called Hans Hermann Hoppe who's like the descendant. He's like a student of, of Rothbard, who's a student of Mises. And his best breakdown of the left-right divide is that, but you know, because the, the the standard libertarian answer is that we're not left or right; we're just okay. libertarians. We, we're in favor of property rights and freedom, and we're not left or right. And left and right are both basically socialistic, from my point of view, but in different ways. And that are was you, true. Are you, are you trying to make the point that coercion is not something that sh should be considered when deciding if something is libertarian or not? No, so I'm 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 getting to that, but as for coercion itself, um, libertarians are not against. So libertarians are opposed to uh, unconsented to transactions. You can put it that way. It, it, some some people uh, offshoots of libertarians call themselves voluntarists, so they focus on the word voluntary. I think that's a 
a semantic mistake because voluntary is not quite right, but I know what they're getting at. Like, so, so for example, if I coerce you into doing something, signing a document saying you're guilty, it was voluntary. Like you volunteered to do it, but you did it under duress. Yeah. So the proper libertarian criteria would be, was it consensual? And consent has to mean uncoerced consent. Now, coercion, this is getting into semantics, but violence, force, coercion, all these words are used willy-nilly and interchangeably. But we have to realize that what we libertarians are – we're not opposed to coercion, violence, or force. We're opposed to the initiation of violence, coercion, or force. That's why Ayn Rand and the other early libertarians emphasized aggression as the thing that's the real thing. Aggression is the institutionalized or individualized uh, initiation of force, right? So we're not – so coercion – I mean if you think about coercion, to coerce someone means to threaten them with something to make them do something. But if you – I mean just imagine you're on a farm. Some guys invade your farm, and they've attacked your family, and you have to capture these guys, and you have to coerce them to get them to leave or to reveal where your kidnapped daughter is or whatever. Okay. The, co the coercion is just the threat of force to make someone do something, to compel someone to do something. That is just like a gun. Like a gun is neither evil nor good. Okay. You can use a gun for good or evil. I can I can harm you with it or I can defend myself with it, right? Yeah. It's the same thing with coercion or with violence or with force. So to be precise and persnickety, as a libertarian, we're not against coercion. Coercion just means using force to compel someone to do something. Sometimes that's justified, sometimes that's not. Okay. I really, yes, yes. So all of these it, – it's a matter of degree how much libertarians allow some property or another. That's why I really like your term minarchist. I, I think it really gets to the what what seems to be the heart of libertarianism, which is the minimum amount of coercion, the minimum amount of, of government, et cetera, et cetera. Would that is that a would you agree with that? I mean I think that's close. So yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. You you want to minimize the amount of government, but I'm not a minarchist, I'm an anarchist because I think minarchism is actually logically uh, incompatible, impossible. It's of course a better goal than what we have now, right? Democratic right. rule or whatever, but minarchy is inherently unstable because once you set in motion a state that has the power to compel compliance right either by taxes or by jurisdiction or by something like that then they will have this monopoly power which cannot be rationally used in other words they will they will necessarily abuse it there's no rational way that the government can be just so you, um, the slippery slope argument is i think what one of the points you're making if you if if the, you allow the government you know, a foot in the door that, that the power will keep expanding. People, it, it, yeah, and it's not just a slippery slope. It's it's the it's the idea that that Mises, one of the uh, fundamental um, Austrian economists uh, of the early 1900s, he pointed out that socialism cannot work efficiently. In other words, uh, a centrally planned government authority cannot rationally know what to do with the resources at its disposal. So if you have a committee that just says, you do this, you build a railway here, you do a, a hotel here, you do a, a grand works here, they don't know what they're doing because they're just throwing things around. The only way you can do that rationally is in accordance with the price signal system, right. which means you have to have capitalism, right? So the, you know, the, the point is that the, the government, the central planning, planning authority cannot know. Okay. So, yeah, the, yeah, I agree with what you said about price signals, and, and that, of course, gets into how a free market work, which works, which is all, all interesting to me. Um, so 
Um, before we end this little uh, banter about anarcho-capitalism and get into the legal issues of blockchain tech, I wanted to hear your thoughts. What do you think about the rise of socialism that seems to be happening happening in America right now? That to me seems was seems totally unexpected. It seems like all those arguments for socialism have been so should have been so effective that this shouldn't be happening. Well, okay, so I won't be a typical guest because I will have my own opinions, and they are this: um, socialism is not what is conventionally described, right? I mean, socialism is the institutionalized interference with private property claims. Okay. Okay, and so. People think of socialism as Russia, right? Something like that. Right, right. Or North Korea. But socialism is just a creeping invasion of our private property rights. Not necessarily the government creeping on, uh, encroaching on other aspects of our lives. Is that the point you're making? Well, it is. I mean, so if you have a holistic view, like if you're a libertarian – you don't actually see a difference between personal rights and economic rights, economic liberties and personal liberties. So freedom of the press, freedom of commerce, for the libertarian, they're all combined and they're all unified. You follow me? Right, right. They, they, they depend on – they're interdependent. So, so take a crude example. If a government has control of the means of communications like the media mm-hmm. – uh, then there's no freedom of the press, right? Or, or, or on the contrary, wise, if there's a private, say, newspaper and they have a a printing press, if they can't own their property, they can't print what they want to print. So, private property and civil liberties they go together. Economic liberties and civil liberties go together. You can't separate the two. And that's what libertarians believe. We, we believe that they, they go together. You should have freedom across the board in lots of different areas to make a, a free, productive society. And it's not just freedom. It's the idea that people – look, society exists because we – look, we have evolved from primitive mammals and other animals, and we can get along. And we can have trade and commerce and society among each other. And it's better if the, the, the social rules respect our trades with each, with each other, right? right. Uh-huh. So that, that's basically the idea. And so the idea is that we all benefit from commerce and inter- intercourse with each other, right? Uh-huh. And so – you, you just can't have the government come in willy-nilly and just say all of a sudden, oh, oh, oh I'm going to take this from you and give it to him. Or say you can't do this because of that. It's not fair. Um, that throws a monkey wrench in the works, and it makes everyone more poor. But yeah, no, I, I agree, and I just, wish, I just wish we could convince more people of that and give, give, raise the bar on everybody's economic understanding. Uh, but I guess that's another topic for another day. <laughs> how to how to get people to uh, learn more about these issues. But yes, I, for people that are listening, anarcho-capitalism, libertarianism, uh, Mises, right? The, uh, these are uh, all, uh, you can search for these terms if you want to find out more. But uh, yes, very interesting topics. So let's uh, switch gears now, if you don't mind. And let's talk about some legal issues that people think about and struggle with with blockchain technology. And so uh, a lot of people are excited, and and this is related to what we were just talking about. So blockchain technology, in my impression, seems to be that it's helping to create a more libertarian world. And so um, that's that because of that, you can imagine some of the thorny issues that come up. Uh, Blockchains can protect our privacy. They can... um, they, they can that they can allow us to disseminate information and nobody else can stop us. So well, why don't we go down through some concerns people have regarding all of that? So for example, um, privacy. So if if blockchain technology makes a world where privacy is we have really strong privacy, um, 
the governments aren't going to like that. And uh, they're going to say, well, you know, in the name of national security, in the name of this or that, we have to decrease, we have to either eliminate privacy or have back doors or something. So do you, do you, are you, do you still believe that privacy is an inherent good and that we should strengthen privacy or do you, do you see the other side's arguments? Well, I think that the, um, the tra- traditional way that this is ex- described is that privacy is a right, right? Like we have Fourth Amendment rights, Fifth Amendment rights, or whatever. Right. And, you know, I personally think that um, uh, there's something called prophylactic measures. I mean, we know, we know what this is from, you know condoms and things like this like you you try to stop something from happening ahead of time right okay so as a radical libertarian i don't agree with the constitution because it it basically tries to validate the government but in this attempt to validate the government it 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 sets limits on what the government can do, right? Right. And so the government can only do what it's enabled to do. And so you have these l- – l- l- let's take, for example, the right to double jeopardy or the right to not be incriminated. I mean, you and I both know that there are people that have committed crimes that are horrible and that should be punished maybe. Right. But the government cannot get to because of certain technical procedural difficulties. Right. You can't make them uh, testify against themselves, for example. You can't have double jeopardy. So I view these things as, as limits against what the state can do. And because I realize that there are criminals who are dangerous, but and the government is even more dangerous as a criminal. So the government's so here's what the government says. The government says we will monopolize everything. We will assume the right to tax you and to appoint people. We will go out and we will stop the bad guys. Okay, but when they do that first thing, when they monopolize things, they tax you, they are already doing what the bad guys are accused of doing. They're already stealing from us. Okay, fine. So if they go out and stop the bad guys, that's fine. But of course, they're always corrupt. They're always inefficient. Because it's not a free market. So so you're... So the bottom line is you're comfortable with the right to privacy and anything that people do to abuse the right to privacy doesn't diminish your belief in that inalienable right. Is that correct? So uh, I don't think there's a right to privacy per se in natural law, but I would say that there are lots of rights that are not in, in natural law, like the right to a presumption of innocence, like for example, okay, which is embodied in the fifth amendment. So the way I look at it is that we have a dangerous government in charge we want to put limits on what they can do because they're very dangerous. So one limit, for example, is the presumption of innocence in the Fifth Amendment, for example. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's a natural right because I think if you actually kill someone or hurt someone, you actually deserve to be punished. But the question is, what is the power of the government? Does the government have the right and the power to do X, Y, and Z. And because we fear the government more than the occasional criminal, we want to put institutional limits on the government, right? Right. So I think that um, the, the rights specified in the, in the Bill of Rights are an attempt to limit what the government can do. Yes. Now, it's an in- interesting – I'm not a lawyer like you are. My understanding is the con- Constitution doesn't enumerate a right to privacy. It's not in the Bill of Rights. 
So as blockchain technology and other technologies give us stronger privacy protections, I wonder if it's on a weak legal footing uh, if people try to challenge it. You see what I'm saying? Because it's not in the Bill of Rights. Is that a valid? Yeah, as, as, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. So the, the Supreme Court is, is basically positivist and they go along with the government's view of things, right? So they will bow down on occasion if you can show them some glowing signpost in the, in the Constitution that says they can't do A, B, and C. And so some of these liberal-minded justices have – in Roe versus Wade, etc. they focused on the Fourth Amendment, and they said, okay, there's a right of privacy. So we can use that to say the government is limited, the federal government is limited in what it can do. And then they say, okay, the states are limited too because of uh, the federal government is superior to the states. So if we ha- if we if we can't do it, the, the states can't do it either, right? So this this is the process, and we have to watch it from the outside. But we can't trust these guys because none of them are really interested in liberty in a systematic way, okay. right? I mean, they all believe in the superiority of the federal government. I mean. Even these guys that all the liberals hail as like uh, civil rights leaders, they don't disagree with conscription, drafting people for war or taxation or jail for drug crimes. So they're basically all fascists, I mean, to be honest. <laughs> um, so they can say A, B, and C, but they're not really serious about it until the rubber hits the road. Okay. Right. So, so then privacy uh, may or may not be something that's going to be uh, controversial and debated, and there people might it might be something that enters the public discussion more and more as blockchain technologies uh, protect our privacy better and better. Um, you did mention uh, taxes, so that brings up another issue that comes up with blockchain technology, um, as, as it makes it easier to. Uh, hide our assets. It's basically like a digital cash when you use a blockchain token to buy things. So uh, I could imagine in the future uh, blockchain technology making tax evasion uh, you know, easy for the common man to do. So you could conceivably have a situation where you have widespread tax evasion. And at that point, the governments would either have to eliminate the way they, they, they have, either have to change the way they collect taxes or abolish income taxes altogether. Um, maybe have some other kind of tax. But I wondered what you, uh, what were your thoughts on that? What happens what, when we live in a world where it's so easy to hide assets? Is that something that we should be concerned about, or, or what? Well, okay, so it's complicated. Um, I think that um, the government. Our system, right, claims to have control over everything, and the the fact is that we can do copyright piracy. We can copy things. Um, I'm not concerned about the state not being able to extract its tax rents. Okay, I mean, I mean the the government is trying to 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 tax people. And I think that they will be increasingly unable to do that because of technology. Now, the question is, is that a good thing or not? Right. So, yeah. So I guess as, as a, someone has a libertarian, I could see then why you wouldn't be concerned if it, it's more, diffi- more and more difficult for the IRS to collect taxes. Um, okay. Now, you brought up the idea of copyright. So why don't we go to that topic? So not only will it be harder to enforce uh, tax rules, it'll be harder to enforce copyright and patent uh, law with uh, uh, upcoming technologies, existing technologies right now that are maturing blockchain technology. So is that something we should be concerned about? Well, it depends on your perspective, I guess. I mean, if you want to per- per- perpetuate the existing uh, government monopoly, you should be concerned because 
I do think that internet technology, blockchain, these things will undermine the ability of the government to enforce its monopoly. But I think that's a good thing. So I'm not concerned about it, but some people are. Okay. I mean, look, think about it this way. Most people have their wealth in different things, right? Most people don't have their wealth in cash. Right. It's in stocks, 401ks, real estate, plans, real estate, whatever. So if things shift and fiat currency, fiat currency becomes less, yeah. we don't care. That's the point. They care. We don't care. So I personally think that our patent system and copyright system is too overreaching and should be drastically reformed. Um, I don't know if you share that view. Uh, you're a patent lawyer. Um, so so you, if, if the patent and copyright system was weakened, uh, that even though you're a patent lawyer, that you wouldn't have a problem with that? Well, so I think that weakening the patent system does no good because it's just like a slight change. It's like changing the marginal tax rates from 21% to 20.2%. So you think it should be abolished? I think the patent system should be abolished, and unless it's abolished, it won't do any good because yeah, the patent system is like totally horrible. It, it, it infringes on innovation and uh, creativity. Okay, well, that certainly uh, means something coming from a, a patent attorney such as yourself. You you know you know uh, the issues involved, and so you so that you don't think it would harm the economy. Uh, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Um, if if we didn't have copyrights, if we didn't have patents, well, first of all, I don't think the point of the uh, uh, of a legal system is to maximize innovation. The point is to protect property rights, right? Okay. So this entire thing about, oh, well, would your change in the law reduce or increase innovation? Is that good? I mean, I don't think I don't think that I mean, when when did this become the thing that the entire point of law and justice and rights is to increase innovation? Well, I think literally in the in the Constitution, I think the purpose of copyright was to promote how do they how did they say it promote the useful arts science and the useful arts i don't know the exact words but so that that's the stated purpose of copyright now people today they say that copyright law today isn't promoting science and the useful arts in fact it thwarts uh creativity and creative works because it prevents people from doing remixes, derivative works. And so it's, it goes against what the constitution says is the purpose of, of copyright. And then, so similar arguments I think are made with, for patents as well. Well, that's true, but I wonder why the constitution is held up as some kind of standard. I mean, uh, it's not, it's not sacred. It's what you're saying. It's not sacred. I mean, it was wrong. I mean, it basically made a mistake. It, 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 it should not have authorized Congress to have copyright and patent law. So, um, and that's not the point of law. The point of law is to do justice, to set up a legal system that recognizes property rights when there's a dispute over a resource. We, we have a system set up to say who has the better claim to this resource. But it's been corrupted to do all kinds of manner of things, right? Right. Um, and so um, encouraging innovation was never the point of property rights. Okay. Um, innovation is the result of people having secure property rights in the first place. So you look at the American Constitution – and you, you look at it from your, your uh, sophisticated eyes, knowing what you know about economics and property, political theory, and you, you see, you see all, a lot of good things in it, but you see barnacles that you would remove in a perfect world, like the copyright stipulation. Well, l let me go a little more radical, okay, okay. because I, I'm an American like you, I think, I assume. Yes, I am. Um, but I don't. 
I don't worship the American Constitution as some kind of thing that we should admire or hold up as something worthy of value. Let me explain why. Um, A constitution means to constitute, to make up, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, the purpose of the constitution – okay, just go back for a second. We had 13 separate states in in 17 – 85 or whenever we won the revolutionary war right so we had 13 countries in america all independent all sovereign states all common law based all fairly liberal whatever except for slavery okay admit that whatever but the point is they formed a constitution to constant think about the word to constitute, to make up, to create. They created a government. And all these Americans go with propaganda that, oh, it protects our liberties. But the purpose of the Constitution was not to protect our liberties. It was to set up a new government. Right. To constitute that government, to get well, it to limit, to limit, limit the government. No, 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 no. Wrong, 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 wrong. Okay. No, there was no there was no government before. There were the thirteen states; they each had their own governments, and they these three thirteen states came together. They formed a new government in the middle of everything, which became the central government, which is the most powerful government uh, today in the history of the earth. So they came up and they crafted a proposition, which allowed a new government to form. They constituted. They made the government, and all these stupid liber- uh, Americans think that the Constitution, its purpose was to pr- protect their rights. It was not. It was to start a new government. Okay, all right. we have to realize this. It was a coup. Seventeen eighty-seven. The Articles of Confederation were overridden and a new government was formed as a result of the constitutional convention okay has nothing to do with liberty wait when you when you say that the constitution doesn't protect our liberty are you making the point that because we have inalienable rights that we don't need somebody to give us is that okay you're not that's not what you're saying no i'm saying that the purpose of the constitution was to constitute a new government it was to validate and legitimize a new government that would arise a central government the federal government of the united states okay that was the purpose of the federal government yes there were some limits put in there so so imagine you have 13 fairly limited common law states massachusetts virginia whatever and they got together and they formed a compact or a treaty to form a new Hydra-like, European Union-like type state Okay, emerged out of nowhere that they gave some limited powers, but only very limited because they were very afraid of what they would do with these powers. Right. And they, they put severe limits on paper on what this new government could do. Now, if you characterize that action as protecting human rights, you're an idiot because – you had 13 states already governing the affairs of the people, and they formed a new government, and they were afraid of what it would do, and they put limits on it. But the purpose of that government was not to protect the rights of the citizens. The purpose was to form a new central unit that could do things that the states couldn't do together. Okay. And yes, they put some limits on it, they thought, but the limits fell, fell away and didn't work. My point is that we've got to drop this nostalgia over the founding fathers and the original foundation of the American Union as some kind of libertarian experiment. It was not. It was basically a constitutional coup that created a new central government, which has become, by the way, the most powerful state in all of uh, world history. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think 
I, I think I know what would be great for libertarianism and uh, anarcho-capitalism. If you guys could do the American ex- something similar to the American experiment, if there was an island, right, or when maybe when Elon Musk takes us to Mars, if you had a, a blank slate and you could try the kind of government that you want, right, then you could prove, look, look, uh, if it thrived, then people would look at it and say, okay, maybe we should copy that. There's a lot of merit there. Uh, yeah. So that, that seems to be the way to go. That's, that's kind of what America did. It proved this system worked. Um, but no, yeah. but, it did, but, but it didn't. So uh, that is the idealistic view. That's the minarchist view. Uh, that's the American view. And over the years, I will tell you something. As a personal libertarian, I've been basically disgusted by the repeated attempt by libertarians to equate libertarianism to the American founding fathers' generation. I mean, libertarianism is universalism. It's not Americanism. We've right. got to give. We've got to give this up. And. If America was some kind of libertarian paradigm, okay, maybe we would go for that. But it was not. We had slavery. We had women didn't have rights. I mean, we had serfs. We had horrible laws. We had religious oppression laws. Uh, we've had we've had prohibitionism. We've had marijuana laws. We have people. We have the biggest population of prisoners in the world per capita in America today, right. today because of marijuana laws. We are not a libertarian nation. We we've got to get over this goddamn ideal. <laughs> we, 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 we did engender because of our English heritage a lot of the thinkers that inspire us, but they don't inspire the people. And they don't inspire I mean, we are not in a libertarian civilization. America prospered because of capitalism, which was Partly unleashed because of somewhat liberal ideas, because of our English heritage, but we are not a free country. We're not the best. We're just the biggest and the most powerful right now. And we have got to delink this idea of combining Americanism and libertarianism. You know, libertarians believe in the value of the individual, right? Every right. individual. Why, why are we so racist? Why, why do we care about Americans or Westerners? I mean, why is America special? We're not special. Well, so, yeah, I, I think I think people would wouldn't necessarily say that Americans are superior. I hope that they wouldn't say that we're superior to any other. Uh, people in any other country i think what they would i think the positive way to say it is that they like their the system of government they think it's better than other the system of governments of of many other countries but it's not better what would you say is better than the american system anarchy but there's no country that you could point to and say there i'd rather live there because it's more like anarcho-capitalism well, I mean, so, so people would say, so people will say, okay, with all the problems, at least America is as good as it we can get, or the best there is, with all its faults. Yeah, but that's that's not a good argument. I mean, I mean, <laughs> the U.S. is not that special. I mean, we're really just a temporary way station on the way to something else. I mean, um, uh, democracy, Francis Fukuyama, you know, the end of history, the last man, all that kind of stuff. No, we're not the we're not the end all be all of, of everything, and we're we're temporary too. Um, democracy is inherently flawed, and it's what what has it led to? It's led to welfare rights and social justice warriorism. I mean, uh, the West is not the end all be all, and and America is not the is not the avatar of libertarianism. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't and, and, I agree with that. Yeah, America's is is not perfect. It's not the it's not libertarian in the in the purest sense. Um, but let me let me get back to the the we were talking about the these legal issues with blockchain technology. And I tried to I tried to I was playing devil's advocate trying to get you to uh, to to uh, to, to 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 see if you would bend on your libertarian beliefs 
when you saw the issues with privacy, with potential tax evasion, um, if that didn't change your mind, what if blockchain systems lead to a world where you you basically anybody could publish anything they want? There, there's not any censorship, so people could violate obscenity laws. You can use your imagination. Just imagine the most depraved content being available for everybody to see, and also there's even this idea of what are called assassination markets. With these technologies, you could anonymously pay somebody to perform a hit on somebody that you want to have killed. So does any of that, that's about the worst that I could think of. Does any of that make you rethink your your uh, political views? Well, I wouldn't equate uh, copying information with killing people. Okay, so I would say that you know, killing people is murder and is wrong. Right. Well, I guess what I was getting at, if, if this technology makes all these bad things possible, would, would, well, would that justify making the government justified and saying, OK, um, all this libertarian stuff is great, but we got to we got to tone it down because or else the country's going to blow apart. Well, I think that the government um, technology is increasing at such a pace that things will become possible, OK, that we don't like. People right. will have freedom. They will have technology. They'll have access to means. They can do things. I mean, honestly, what is it, 2019 now? Right. I'd be surprised that if by 2040, someone hasn't, some Muslim hasn't nuked New York or DC. I mean, it's going to happen. Okay. Right? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not too. But technology is just the proliferation of information and you know, and that's going to happen. We can't stop it. So it's going to happen. So uh, it's not good, but should we empower the government to make a police state to stop it? Because number one, it won't stop it. Okay. And number number two, it wouldn't be just anyway. So it's a tough problem. I mean, to be honest, in my view, the problem in the, in the world is uh, – Superstition and religion. Okay. Now, how do you eliminate that? I don't. I actually don't think you can. I think we have to wait. I mean, we we might have a setback in the next ninety years if New York and DC are are nuked by Islamic terrorists, which probably will happen. We're gonna have a shit show for like a hundred years. <laughs> I mean, it's not gonna be pretty. So now, uh, um, let, let me. So, so with what I've said, then you must be pretty excited about blockchain and related technology because it's basically going to move forward your your agenda, isn't it? Right. So, you you are you are you pretty excited how technology is kind of doing things maybe even faster than you could do by other means? Well. Yeah, that's my ultimate hope for humanity is that technology will increase and allow us to escape our primitive roots. Yes. Okay. Okay. And in, ter in terms of money, um, money, I mean, look, my view is not the same as everyone I encounter in the Bitcoin space, but my view is that money is a sui generis or a unique good, mm -hmm. right? And like money is something that's useful and essential, but it's is different in that increasing the supply does not make us wealthier. Right. You follow me? Yes. So you can't print it. So this is one reason I'm skeptical of the fractional reserve types like George Elgin and these guys. Um, but I don't think money is our biggest problem now. I do, th I do think that central reserve banking allows governments to get away with inflating their money supply and, and, and paying for projects they couldn't otherwise pay for. So if we got rid of that, it would hamper the state, which is a good thing, which I think, by the way, is inevitable. Okay. Yeah, and then Bitcoin, with its limited supply, uh, tries to move us to a world where the government can't manipulate uh, the money supply and do a lot of the things that you, you don't like. Correct. 
So, yeah. So it's interesting that that uh, people could be arguing about politics and and trying to advance the country in their direction that they want. But it's interesting that technology seems to be a catalyst that moves things along and it's much more powerful than any any other discussions or any other methods to to kind of move the country along in some direction. So it's, it seems to me that that is true, that people cannot avoid the inexorable advance of technology, right? And technology broadly defined is like the way of using methods and techniques that work, right, to advance human interests. Right, right. All right, so then, so then blockchain and all the changes that it's bringing to us are a net good, and all these issues, a lot of them – uh, are positives and some of the negative ones <laughs> admittedly there's some negative consequences but they don't deter from the overall value of having these freedom enhancing technologies um, well I wouldn't say there are any negative consequences of the blockchain what do you mean well just any okay any technology that gives people freedom can be abused like guns right people can abuse guns so what that's the point that I was making that these uh, uh, these freedom enhancing technologies are a net good, and so we shouldn't be talking about how to ban them or eliminate them. Well, I don't know if they're net good. I think they are, but that's not my argument because I'm not a utilitarian. So, like, I'm not thinking like we should ban things or allow them if we have a committee decide whether they're net goods or not. I mean. Um, your big thing is property rights and protecting privacy, pri- property rights. Is, is that what? Would- well, my thing is what every human being is. Every human being is an individual. They want to have their pursue their own goals, and they regard as an, an enemy people who interlope and want to interfere with what they're doing. Right. And right. so I would never want to justify and institutional interference in what people are doing. I mean, people should do what they want to do. So Bitcoin to me and all these things, I mean, are just the outcome of uh, voluntary interactions among people. Right. Okay. Now we've, we've touched a lot of topics and I appreciate you talking to somebody as ignorant of politics and economics as I am. Um, Before we close uh, is did I miss anything, or is there any other comments you want to mention to our listeners, people that are interested in and in thinking about these these topics, the legal issues of these technologies, and also anarcho capitalism and libertarianism? You want to add anything else? No, I think you covered it actually very well. So I appreciate that. Okay, so uh, uh, thank you, Stefan, for our chat. And uh, I appreciate you enlightening us. And uh, yeah, until we talk next time, uh, best wishes to you and your family. You too. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye.